Not only are we redeemed by grace, but we live in grace. And what that means is that God gives to us all the benefits, all the resources necessary to live a life that is pleasing to Him. He gives us of His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He guides us. He instructs us. And so we know that because of that, that we can have confidence in God continuing to work in us because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in us will continue it until the day that He comes for us. Listening to Cross Connection with Pastor Jay Fulton of Cross Connection North Jersey. Join us as Pastor Jay teaches through the Book of Romans. We all experience seasons of heartache and discontent, and sometimes in those moments of struggle, we begin to wonder if God really cares about us. It's hard to see the purpose in it all, but the Bible tells us to expect trouble. In today's message, Pastor Jay reminds us that God is concerned with our every need. He sees us in our weakness and is always there to strengthen us and set us back on the path. In our times of disbelief, we can hold to the promise that His grace is sufficient. Now here's Pastor Jay with part one of his message entitled, Reckon the Old Man Dead. So for our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be reading from Romans chapter 6, picking up at verse 7 and then reading through to verse 14. And so Paul writing, he says this, he says, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more and death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he lived, he lived unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. And neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. In our study through the book of Romans, we've come to a point where there is another pivot in the content and in the stream of thought that Paul is writing here for us. He had spent the first part of the book dealing with the sinfulness of man, proving to us all that man was just completely given over to sin, lost in sin, given over to sin with no way to remedy himself or to remove himself from the penalty of that sin. And he proves that in chapter one and also proving along the way that the works of the law or by the works of the law, no person will be justified, meaning that there is no amount of good deeds. There are no amount of religious exercises that a person can do to make them right before God. Because what religious practices do, what religious rites do, all they do is affect the outward man. 
But from the beginning, the issue with God, it's always been a matter of the heart, a condition of the heart, a heart that puts its trust in the creator. And so he shows us that man has no ability to redeem himself, to save himself from the penalty of the sin. But then he uses that as a launch point to even speak of those that are self-righteous, in particular the Jews. The Jews at this time, they were very proud of the fact that God had given to them the word, the scriptures, that God had called them. He had pulled them out of Egypt. And yet they became arrogant. They became self-righteous. So Paul would prove to them that their self-righteousness is insufficient, that their self-righteousness leaves them woefully short of God's design, of God's intent. And so he would prove that by raising up the example of the patriarch of Abraham and showing to them that Abraham was justified. But how was Abraham justified? Well, he was justified by faith, by faith in the Lord. And so he would prove to them that it was accounted unto him as, as righteous. He was considered righteous before the law was even given. The law was given a few hundred years later. And Abraham was considered righteous before that point. And so the self-righteous have no place before God. So what is man's remedy? There's no place for man to go, no place for man to reach, nothing that man can do. Well, God had sent his only son. And we know that verse in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him would have everlasting life. And so God gave his son as the propitiation of the substitute for our sin, because God being righteous, being holy, he has to deal with sin. And rather than dealing with that sin in you and I, he dealt with it in his son. And what he would ask and what he would expect is that we would then place our trust in his son to govern our lives, to lead our lives, and that the penalty of sin would not be accounted unto us. And so he speaks of this grace, and as he's going through and he's talking about the fact that Abraham was not weak in faith and that he staggered not at the promises of God, and proving then in chapter 5 the benefits of having peace with God, of being justified, that man now is no longer warring with God. In Christ, man is no longer warming with God, but he's at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so we can rejoice in that. And because of that, we stand in grace. Not only are we redeemed by grace, but we live in grace. And what that means is that God gives to us all the benefits, all the resources necessary to live a life that is pleasing to him. He gives us of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He guides us. He instructs us. And so we know that because of that, that we can have confidence in God continuing to work in us because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began a good work in us will continue it until the day that he comes for us. And so in chapter five, he had wrote that we, because of these things, we can glory in tribulations. When the difficulties of life come, we can have confidence in God that God is going to see us through these things. Not without its perils, not without its trouble, but knowing that God will be with us, that God will get us through these things. Because God has given us of his son, how much more would he give us of the lesser things in life? If he's given us the greatest gift, how much more would he give us of lesser gifts? And so when we arrive here at Romans chapter 6, Paul had sort of presupposed that there would be a question that would be raised. And he had mentioned it in chapter 5. And he said, he makes a statement in chapter 5 and verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is, to the degree that sinfulness was present in the life of an individual, God's grace would reach even unto that. 
And so when we think of our minds, those that might be caught in the penalty of sin with lesser sins, God's grace covers that. But even what we might esteem to be the greater sins, God's grace covers even that. There is no sin that is too far off the charts. There's no sin that is too grave or too deep for God's grace to cover. God's grace covers all sin. And so he says, he makes this statement where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so in, in anticipation of a question that some might raise, well, therefore, should we sin so that God's grace, so that God would be glorified by his grace? And this is the question in chapter six here, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's a question that requires deep reflection, deep thinking. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? As one considers God's grace, it should bring about a response of praise, adoration, appreciativeness of God. Because we had saw that forgiveness alone makes no provision for righteousness of character. Forgiveness alone just produces a justified position in Christ. And so he raises this question. Justification is the straight gate through which we enter the narrow way of holiness. But having passed through that gate, we need not deal with it any longer. And so a person who has come into that place of forgiveness with Christ, now the concern is the way of holiness from that way forward. We will look at sin no longer as sort of a, the source of our judgment from God. That has been removed. But now we will look at sin as a disease that permeates this world, that permeates our lives. And this question of whether or not we should continue in sin to therefore glorify God was one that many people either practice in precept or practice in deed. There was a Russian monk by the name of Gregory Rasputin, and he he lived under this credo. He lived under this belief that the more that he sinned, and the greater the sin, when he repented of it momentarily, it would glorify God. And so when you looked at his life, he lived a life of incredible sin. Just every step along the way, increasing the severity of the sin, and then he would repent for a moment. And he thought that that would glorify God. And the reality is, is that people abuse grace. People believe that if there's nothing I could do to receive God's forgiveness and grace, therefore there's there's nothing I can do to lose it, which is right, but where they're wrong is then assuming that therefore I can live any way I want. And God has called his people to be holy. And we see a picture of that when God had called the nation of Israel. Egypt, we know, is a picture of the world, a picture of sin. And God had pulled them out of that place. He had pulled them out of Egypt. They were slaves, given over to it. No way to escape for themselves, much like our condition today. And when he pulled them out, the next book of the Bible after Exodus is Leviticus. And God had pulled them out in the book of Leviticus. It's a book on holiness. He's teaching the people now how to walk with him, how to approach him, how to worship him, how to live right before him that God's people should always be consecrated unto him. That we shouldn't look like the world. We shouldn't mirror the world. And if we look at 
the church in, in the mirror, so to speak, and if we see a reflection of the world, then we've missed it. But people tend to abuse God's grace. And so Paul is raising this question, shall we continue in sin? The tense of the word continue there is it gives the idea of dabbling in sin. And that's important to note because we might look at our lives and say, yes, I, I'm no longer practicing on a habitual basis these particular behaviors, the things that God had redeemed me from. But do we dabble in these things? And that's what this is talking about here. Are we patterned in our lives a practice of dabbling in sin? And maybe, you know, we'll partake of this particular behavior and then we'll stop for a few months and then we'll go back into it. Just enough to get a fix. And Paul is saying here, should we do that? And he answers the question, God forbid, no way. And the reality is God does forbid. He does forbid. And he raises this question again, this, a second question. In verse 2, he says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How is it that we who are dead to sin, we've been crucified, we've been put down, so to speak, with Christ, raised to new life in him, how is it that we would continue in sin? Biblically speaking, what death means, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of something. Death means, biblically, the separation of a thing. When we look at James, he says, the body without the spirit is dead. And we know that. When the body and spirit are separated, a person is dead. And we know that. We can see that. Because the physical body is there, but the person that we knew and loved is no longer there. They're no longer in that tent. They're no longer in that body. So as the spirit from the body, the spirit without the body is dead, he'll go on to talk about faith without works is dead. But then also to be separated or to be separated from God spiritually. We can be dead spiritually. When God spoke to Adam, he said, the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Well, we know that Adam didn't physically die. But he died spiritually that day. Separated from God. And we're all born in that place where we are separated from God. And so how shall we that are separated from sin continue in sin? God has separated us from that. And what does it mean? It, the separation means that we're separated from sin's power. It's not the extinction of sin in our lives, but it's the separation of its power. We're freed from the hold that it had on our lives. And so for each of us, God has made available his resources that we might rule over the sin in our lives. God has provided the capacity for us. And John speaks of this in 1 John. He says, we know that Whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So the resources of God, that we would not be given over, that we would dabble in, that we would practice sin. And for the believer in Christ, you have that choice. For the unbeliever, they're in bondage to sin. They have no ability to stop sinning. But for the believer in Christ, we have the choice. God has given us of his spirit. He's given us instruction. And now are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us? And what sanctification means, it's that process whereby which God, day after day, he's beginning to change us, he's beginning to mold us, he's beginning to conform us. I remember when I became a Christian, 
like many non-saved people, I, I had thoughts and I had behaviors that were not pleasing to God. And God began to remove those things over time. And I remember there came a point in my life where my friends would go out. And I said, I, I can't do that anymore. Now, in my heart, I wanted to do it. I wanted to go with them. I, I, had, I had missed my friends. And I had prayed, Lord, please take this desire away from me. Take it away. And what ended up happening, you know, I just began to live life and one day turned into two and two into three and then weeks went on and then months went on. And it was about six or seven months after that prayer. It, it, it had just popped in my mind. And six or seven months later, and I didn't even realize that God had taken away that desire. I didn't even know it. I, I didn't even recognize that I had lost the desire for those things. And so God gives us the resources. He gives us the ability to turn from those things and so that we wouldn't dabble, that we wouldn't continue in sin. And here's the reason why. Here's the basis for this position that he writes. He says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, and that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. Walking in the newness of life. And the picture is this. As a person is baptized by the Spirit into Christ, that is, regeneration has set in. We are baptized into the death of Christ. Now, typically when a person makes a profession of faith, when, when they have come to that, the realization that they are now a child of God. They are now a believer in Christ. What follows typically is baptism. And I'll say this as a note, if those of us here who are believers who have not been baptized, you should get baptized. But the baptism, the physical baptism, is a picture of the spiritual reality where we've been baptized in the Spirit by Christ. And so for us that were baptized into his death, we, like him, are raised from the dead. We are raised with a new life. And when the Bible speaks of Christ being resurrected from the dead, it's not speaking of resuscitation. It's not CPR. No, it's that Christ was raised with a new type of life. And so remember, after the resurrection, there was a new life, a new body that Christ had. In the same way, we have a new life, a new way of living. The newness of life. And it's speaking of this fresh quality of life. You know, Jesus said concerning the believer that out of this person's life or what would come forth as a part of this person's life is rivers of living water. Imagine or picture just the vitality, the nutrients, the flourishing, just rivers of living water. Not dead water, not stale water. But we know what that's like. When you see puddles or you see swampy areas and mosquitoes get settled in there. But no rivers of living water that brings forth life. And to have our life characterized in that way, that's what he's talking about. That newness of life. Where old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I no longer think the way I used to think. 
I no longer do the things I used to do. I don't even desire to do the things that I used to do. God has given me a new heart. He's, he's taken the anxiety, he's taken the anger and the bitterness, and he's changed it. And now, I don't know, I cry more often. I weep for people more often. God has put a tenderness in my life. He has put a gentleness in my heart. He's put love for people where I didn't love people. But this new life. And so the, the physical baptism is just a physical representation of what's happened spiritually with us. And so Christ's death and burial, it proves that he died. You only bury dead people. And so therefore our, our burial through baptism It shows that we died with him to our formal sinful ways of living. But as Christ was raised, so too are we raised with a new life, a fresh quality of life. And a person cannot die and rise again without it changing their life. No one who's really tasted and experienced the working of God in their life can live in that way. Not for long. So the new life brings about a new inner man. And so there's a real death and resurrection with Christ. It really happened. He was really resurrected. And so too are we. That we've been resurrected spiritually. That God has given us life. We should walk in that. Walk in that path of sanctification. A process, no doubt, One that we'll be going through until we breathe our last. And then we'll be glorified completely. But we've been given the power through the Holy Spirit to do this, to accomplish this. And so we have a choice. And Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the Lord asks us this question today. Who is living? Who is governing your life? Who is ruling your life? Paul would say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Paul is saying, Paul has been put to death. And we can say that ourselves. Just put our, insert our names in there. I have been put to death. It is now Christ living through me. And so therefore, because we are buried with him, by baptism into death, and that Christ was raised up from the dead, by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. And this is the command. This is the instruction. This is what we should be doing in light of all that God has done for us. And when we get to Romans chapter 12, he's going to restate that. He's going to spend all that time up until that point showing us what God has done for us. Then he's going to say, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable to do these things in light of what God has done for us. It's only reasonable. It's only reasonable. And he goes on to say, verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Well, this is true. We just spoke of that. But in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. The old man is just another way of saying the, the, the flesh nature, the appetites and the desires and the passions that we had before we had come to know Christ, those things have been crucified. They have been put on the altar. And that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
That's all the time we have for today on Cross Connection Radio with Pastor Jay Fulton. Jay is the senior pastor of Cross Connection North Jersey. The next time you join us, Pastor Jay will continue teaching through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Maybe after listening today, a friend or family member came to mind that would be encouraged by this message. Or maybe you'd like to review this message. Today's message and many others are available at crossconnectionradio.com. Select broadcasts from the main menu. There you'll find the Cross Connection Radio media player. Don't worry, the only thing you need to remember is the web address and today's date. Again, the web address is crossconnectionradio.com. You can download today's message or listen right on the website. We also encourage you to share the message with that person that came to mind. When you log on to crossconnectionradio.com and click on broadcast, you'll be able to post any of the messages to your Facebook page or your Twitter feed. You can even share an email link to the message or connect with us with an email. Send an email to info at crossconnectionradio.com. On behalf of Pastor Jay and the entire production team here at Cross Connection Radio, we want to thank you for joining us today. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jay continues through the Book of Romans. That's next time on Cross Connection Radio.